Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. Our series, Black Queer Rising, continues today with editor-at-large of Scallywag Magazine, Deshaun Harrison. They're an organizer living in Atlanta, Georgia, a trans theorist and winner of the 2022 Lambda Literary Award in Transgender Nonfiction for their book titled Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness. Deshaun, welcome to The Takeaway. Thank you for having me. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) All right. I want you to just go ahead and break it all the way down. Your book is titled Belly of the Beast, Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness. So just explain the subtitle. How is anti-fatness also anti-blackness? What I mean is anti-fatness is anti-blackness. In the book, as I refer to us as the black fat or the slave, Um, is held captive to or by the world. As I understand it, anti-Blackness creates the world and gives meaning to everything in it. And what this means is that anti-Blackness functions as an outline of the illogical production of Black as pain, Black as trauma, Black as suffering. Um, And so in other words, anti-Fatness is the framework by which the Black fat subject is, is forced to be inhuman or an object or the beast. It is the global structure that determines how we are engaged in life and in death, as well as who lives and who dies. Um, And so in this way, fatness, just like blackness, is always and already criminalized, penalized, objectified, marginalized, defined by the libidinal economy, to borrow from um, Frank Wilderson, or by our larger society. Um, And so that's what it means, or that's rather what anti-fatness as anti-Blackness means. So if the fat body is a problem inherently in how we've constructed it socially, help me to understand then this language. Sometimes we hear fat phobia, but you're very purposeful in the use of anti-fatness. Yes. So I use anti-fatness as opposed to fat phobia because I hear um, fellow folks in the disabled community who have sounded some alarms around the use of, of phobia being used as loosely as it as it has been to describe a lot of different things. When phobia is particularly related to different types of disabilities, like actual real phobias, and I think that. Fat phobia can oftentimes be used in a way that I think feels particularly trivial, that it sort of individualizes an experience that is structural. Give me an example. Where do we see this happening? In particularly body positive spaces, we'll hear things like fat phobia being sort of relegated to who can get free drinks at a bar. And while that absolutely plays a significant role in how folks are treated, what actually is, is I think, more important is who even has 
access to be able to get to that bar, whether or not fat folks can be buckled into seatbelts or whether or not fat folks can fit into the seats in the bar or whether or not fat folks are able to work in the bar, right? Like these are these are things that oftentimes are not thought about when folks talk about anti-fatness or fat phobia. And for me, that is why I, I choose to use anti-fatness because there is a big focus on a very individualized experience mm-hmm. related to fat phobia. I think it's why I really deeply respect and love um, the work of Sabrina Strings because she uses fat phobia in the title of her book, which is Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. Her work is so... Um, full of firsthand um, resources that invite us into a deeper understanding of how the fat body is engaged or how fat flesh is engaged. And that to me feels like some of the most rigorous engagements of fatness with the use of fat phobia that I've ever seen. More from Lambda Literary Award-winning trans theorist, Deshaun Harrison, in just a moment. Support for The Takeaway comes from BetterHelp, committed to supporting mental health through therapy. Clients are matched with one of 25,000 therapists and can communicate via video, chat, or phone at betterhelp.com public. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, Congress has passed a law that will ban TikTok. But why? If you are going to take away an app used by 170 million people, I believe that lawmakers and the government who ostensibly work for us, the American people, owe us more information about why that divestiture is being moved forward. Debating the TikTok ban. That's the New Yorker Radio Hour from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. My conversation continues with editor-at-large of Scallywag Magazine and Lambda Literary Award-winning author of Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness, Deshaun Harrison. They're still with us for our Black Queer Rising series. Now, Deshaun shared how they name and claim themselves in today's world. We aren't born with the label of, of gay or born with the label of queer born with the label of of trans or any of these things. These are these are embodiments that we move into in many ways as a response to the cis heterosexist environment and society that we live in, that we're socialized under. And so I choose to show up in in the ways that I am as black, as queer, as trans, as fat, and that these things are immutable for me, all of them. Um, that they cannot be changed, cannot be shifted, cannot be cannot be removed, right from from who I am. It's very important to offer a real sense of of clarity around the significance in what it means to exist freely in one's in in one's flesh um, as as who they are. It matters to change a world, a society that wants to force you to choose to not be who you are. And that to me feels really important. It does. It feels not only important, but central, crucial, right? That it is in some ways the work, right? Is not to change the self, but right? To change that gaze that is looking at you, defining you as a problem, right? Du Bois doesn't tell us the experience of being Black is being a problem because we actually are, but rather because that's right, that's that unuttered question that is circling us. 
So talk to me about what Black freedom looks like for you at the intersection of these identities. Yeah. You know, the reality is that for me, for as long as we have these identifiers, right, these 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 identities that are in many ways social responses to anti-Blackness, responses to cis-heteronormativity, responses to ableism and anti-fatness, right? For as long as we have these identities and these identifiers, that means that we are still existing in a world wherein our, our bodies, our flesh, our experiences, our identities are subjugated, which means that there is no freedom. And so my desire is, is for us to experience what I write in, in the book is a beyond where we're not defined by these marginalized identities, right? Where we're not defined by these experiences that that create culture and culture as a response to subjugation, culture as a response to enslavement. So the answer to that question for me is that my investment is moving us to revolution, right? Moving us to the reality of of toppling, destroying the violent nature of anti-blackness, of cis sexism, of heterosexism, right? Of anti-fatness that forces us into these cages that then define all of who we are based solely on how we're subjugated, how we're objectified, or rather that define us as things that must be objectified, criminalized, penalized, right? Subjugated. And until we get to that point, it is my understanding that we don't know freedom and I want us to know freedom. So I want us to get to that point. How is grief connected to that? Oof. Grief for, for black folks is intergenerational. It's passed down. It's trauma that is embedded into the, the framework, the soul of anti-blackness. And so that is to say that we are always grieving as a response to always being violated harmed, abused. And I think that we are always grieving because we are always loving. And I think that grief is just another form of of love, misplaced or love that has no place. And so I think that we are always grieving to some extent because we are always experiencing what it means to have Black life in a world predicated on anti-Blackness. Even with the criminalization, the the pain, the grief. Tell me, what does Black queer rising mean to you? Mm. It means community. It means that we find, even if only for a second, a home, a sense of belonging in the midst of, in the arms of, surrounded by the people who choose to love us as we are. I think when I when I hear the words Black Queer Rising, for me, the first things that I think about is, funny enough, revolt um, because of the rising. I, I think that that's just the first thing that comes to mind for me. But what I also think about is a lifted community that for a Black queer to, to rise, right, whether it's in their career or um in in their relationships or whatever it might be there always must be always has to be a community rising with them 
um, for me, I am I am nothing without the community that holds me, that grounds me, that keeps me, um, that centers me. And for me, if if I'm rising right, it is because of them and it is with them. And so there is, even if it's an illusioned one, there's a sense of of safety and care and love and gratitude and and home that that shows up for me when I when I hear that phrase Black Queer Rising. Deshaun Harrison, author of Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness, and editor at large at Scallywag magazine. Deshaun, thanks so much for being here on the takeaway. Thank you so much for having me.